Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Good streaming people. Cannell and Bell. Tommy Trannian for Danny Cannell. Guy Raja with me. By the way. Happy, uh, happy Lunar New Year. Chinese New Year. Vietnamese New Year. Yeah. Today's the day. Oh, okay. So, so out goes the year of the dog. Yeah. Ahead is the year of the pigs. Okay. It's it's time to kind of good to know bring in some of the good spirits. Yeah. for a new year, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, bro. Doing good. Just a uh, little Super Bowl hangover yesterday. Yeah. yeah I was uh, I, I was tired, man. Like really, I was tired. I was tired all Sunday. I didn't. The game didn't do me any favors because it was kind of slow and boring. And then yesterday, I kind of. You know, got through it, but I'm ready. I'm back. Yeah. Let's do this it. This is, of course, Cannell yeah. and Bell presented by Citizen. And so as we get ready for a good hour here, we got to start with the Patriots. They got their celebration today, talking about the duck boats being out. Um, the dynasty question obviously has been answered of what they've been able to do. Six titles in nine appearances. When you look at it, though, from a big picture perspective, for them to keep going, what do you think it's going to take for them? Um, well, I think they have their coach in waiting, right? Like that's why Josh McDaniel came back and he was like, they're probably going to pass the torch there. Um, you're going to have to find a quarterback. Tom Brady's only come around like once in a lifetime, right? And they don't even have like a, a, an heir apparent that they have faith in after letting Garoppolo go. I think they have some, some good pieces on the offensive line. There's some youth there. They've got some draft picks coming up this season. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I only really see there being sea legs on this for another one. Maybe two years. I, I am in the camp that Tom Brady has already started the decline. I think it's a gradual one. I don't think it's a falling off the cliff thing. And it's no shade at Tom. It's just father time. Right. Um, but I think over the next two years, you'll see him probably get tired of the grind and you'll, you'll definitely see Bill Belichick start to get tired of the grind and then it's over. I used to be, you know, I'm, I'm a Tom Brady guy. Yeah. Like what he's done and, and you can't really do one without the other. And I know we have a conversation of who needs it more. I used to always lean Tom Brady. Sure. But now, to your point, it's like, what if Bill Belichick would have had a Jimmy G, or if they find the next Jimmy G? Like he's sixty-six, and I, you know, he's a young sixty-six. He could keep going on and on and on. Because what I think is, what you're seeing is teams from a talent perspective, because of how the cap is and everything. Like the teams are tighter, the level of talent there. I mean, they're going up against teams like the Rams that have more talent. But sure. Continues to show you that Belichick is out coaching all these years. Yeah, no, he's remarkable. And in terms of like the sustaining the dynasty, like playing in their division has been really helpful in that you just run over that. Um, but you, you could potentially have some things turning around. If Flores is the guy in Miami, uh, maybe they, they get themselves a quarterback. Maybe he's able to resurrect, you know, Ryan Tannehill's career. Who knows? But, but maybe that pops back. You got the Jets, uh, with the young quarterback and that maybe Adam Gase who was supposed to be a quarterback whisperer, can get that pointing in the right direction. So, you know, as long as that division is still mired in, like, that mediocrity or bottom half of, like, the league, there's still sea legs for for the Patriots. But I imagine, again, like, the the Tom Brady slippage, the Bill Belichick getting older, them not having his successor in place for Tom Brady, and then possibly these AFC team, East teams getting better, in a couple years you'll probably start to see uh, the wheels kind of fall off of that dynasty. I don't know if we put it up already, but the odds are ready to win next year's Super Bowl. The Patriots are right there, but the Chiefs at 6-1 to one at last check, and you got the Rams that are right there back. I mean, when you look at this, I mean, look, there's some good teams that got close this year, obviously, with the four teams that got sure. the title games, and then there's some... You know, the Chargers and Bears and even the Steelers, depending on what AB's going on, I just, I don't know if I, if I look at that list, I think, you know, I mean, I, I like the Chargers, heck, I bet on them in the sure. round, and then, you know, they just were on the road so much, but it's hard to bet against the Patriots. Yeah, it is hard to get, and 
you know, the thing is, like, the Rams um, at 8-1, to one, while I, I get it, they're, they were a great team this year. Like, the offense was fantastic. It, I thought it, uh, you know, obviously it sputtered and it showed it, it, it showed some weakness in, in the Super Bowl game, but it's hard to get back to that Super Bowl. Like, you know, the Patriots do it over and over again, and you just take for granted, oh, man, that's an easy thing to do. Like, I don't foresee the Rams back in the NFC, uh, like in the NFC representative in the Super Bowl next year. I think that's a hard thing to do over and over again, unless you are the teams, a team like the Patriots. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, we don't know what's going to be on defense. You know, they brought Sue on a one year deal, all the guys that they brought on a one year deal. And then what we saw from both Todd Gurley and Jared Goff, it's not a shoe win, man. Like, yeah. you can't just think that Goff's going to take that next step and he's going to eventually have a contract issue that they got to worry about. And then still, we're still trying to figure out what the heck happened with Todd Gurley. Like, nothing was answered over the last two weeks. No, that's all up in the air. As is, look, again, Sean McVay's offense, and, and this will you know, this will be a true test of if he's this offensive genius or not, is whether he can go back again this offseason and kind of recreate themselves again. Because everyone's now going to have you know, somewhat of a blueprint on how you want to play them. Now, they might not have the personnel to do what Bill Belichick and company did, but there is a blueprint out there to kind of stymie that offense. Just look at the Super Bowl tape. So the question is whether you can come back and get innovative, get fresh, bring out a, a, a whole new kind of set of things that can 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 help you be one of the best offenses in the league again next year, right? So then your question's about whether moments become too big for golf. I actually think if you gave him a second shot at it, he'd look a lot better. I think the girly thing is a very interesting situation. You know, we said on the, on the, on the show yesterday, like, it's almost better if you come out and say he's injured, right. right? Because if he's not injured and you're just, you know, his snaps have been cut in half because of something else, like, that's a bigger problem. So there's some concerns there. Uh, and when you roll all of that up going into a new season, you alluded to, like, the, the defensive side of the ball. I think it's really difficult for them in a league built on parity to be the representative for the NFC in the Super Bowl. Next yeah, we'll run that up one more thing about, you know, the Patriots in an era of parity where, where the rules and the draft, it's all supposed to mean that, and they've seen it though. We've seen every year there's a team that goes from worst to first. The Bears were the team this past year, but you're not supposed to win titles the way they do. So, um, you and I were both at Super Bowl week down in Radio Row in Atlanta. And I was surprised to be honest about, you know, we were getting predictions from all the players and coaches we talked about. It was about 90% of everyone that we talked about, players and Rams. coaches. No, Patriots. Patriots? Yeah, I mean, all right. Even the guys that they beat, even a bunch of Chiefs. Yeah. A bunch of the guys that they got in the Chargers, like they all, like Melvin Gordon said, I think Patriots, you don't bet against TB12, the whole thing. Right. Well, so we actually had a couple guys come on and say the Rams, which I thought was interesting because I was, like, I was on that all week. I'm not, the question for me was whether they get to the Super Bowl or not. Like whether, like, you know, they, they get knocked off by, by Kansas City or somebody like that. Once they get to the Super Bowl, I'm not betting against them. Right. Like it's just, just too much proven track record for me. Like the question was whether they would have got tripped up on the, on the route to the Super Bowl. All right. Now let's talk about the NBA. And it's funny that last week at Radio Row throughout the week, uh, two stories sort of hijacked football a little bit. That's how we do it, baby. <laughs> the NBA's taking over. It began with 80 yeah. on Monday. You got the Porzingis thing, but really with Chris Stapps, you know, he ain't playing for at least a year or so. But again, this, uh, Anthony Davis stuff. And so now we hear multiple reports out. The Lakers, you know, had already sort of had their offer. And now what everyone's calling sort of the, the grandfather offer. And, and boy, let me just list this thing here in terms of a potential trade. You're talking about Lonzo, Kuz, Ingram, Rondo. Uh, Lance, Stevenson, Beasley, and two first. That was sort of that, uh, initial thing. And then you got them saying, no, I want more. I want, I want four first <laughs> I want, give me, give me as much as you can, cause I've got the guy. When you look at it, I mean, I think he's asking for obviously a lot, but that's what you do in a situation when you got a guy. Yeah. You ask for as much as you can get, maybe you get three. Look, this is, this is one of the best players in the NBA. At some point, you know, there's some point over the last year or so, people were talking about him being the best player in the NBA. Um, so if you're Dell Dems, you have to posture. Like, yeah, I, I want everything you have. 
You know what I mean? Like, I want everything you got, and throw me a counter. You throw me the counter, I still want everything you got. The leverage, he's got the leverage right now, right? The Lakers don't want Boston to get involved in this situation. Like, Boston has, you know, maybe the only other team in the league that has the assets to go out and put a deal on the table uh, that may be better than the Lakers. When you're talking about the Jason Tatums and the Jalen Browns and the draft picks that they've accru- they've accrued over the last few years. So, you know, Dell Demps is doing what he should do, which is just, you know, hold firm and, and make the Lakers come as high as they can go. It's an interesting phenomenon when you're on a LeBron team, though, right? Because he's so good, and you know that if you can get him and Anthony Davis or something of the like and one other guy, your window is right now. There's no real future. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, and, and most GMs in the league would, would, would trade a future for a guaranteed championship because you've got the championship and I'll figure the rest out when, like, at that point, you know? So the instinct is to, like, leverage your, like, your future, like, give it all up for LeBron. And I imagine at the end of the day, they're going to give up anything that they have to give up to get Anthony Davis. And that's a scary prospect for the Lakers who haven't really, you know, been in a situation, uh, where they have no future if they don't win right now. And if you don't win with LeBron, like you really have no future. If you give up four draft picks, I don't imagine it gets to that point. I think they settle on like probably two first rounders, maybe three first rounders, the two second rounders. You'll take Solomon Hill back. They are going to take like the Lonzo Ball, Kuzma, Ingram, and all of those guys. But if you don't win, if you're the Lakers, then you've mortgaged your future. Um, but you have to. Like, it's a really weird spot. The, LeBron's window is not two years from now. It's right now. Right. So if you can win right now and next year, like, that's what your, that's what all eggs are in that basket. But if you don't, you're, you're usually going to have to mortgage the future to get the pieces to go around him that he needs to win that championship. And that's what LeBron has been. Every step that he's gone, he's in a sort of win-now mode. It happened in Cleveland, now happening in L.A. By the way, this news dropping literally about 10, 15 minutes ago. Chris Haynes uh, over at Yahoo dropping some knowledge here. So he is reporting that... The Pels front office presented, uh, prevented, I should say, Anthony Davis from making his return last night, which would have been Monday. Of course, AD coming back from a finger injury. Now, we do know that he was cleared to practice, but it looks like from here that he wanted to be ready to go, held off, maybe held off until Thursday at yeah. the trade deadline. What does that tell you? It tells me that they're really close to getting the deal done. If you're not putting him out there, that means you don't want to hurt him. Because if he's a hurt player, you're not going to be able to trade him or it'll get dicey in the trade situation. So they really think that... That, that some of these deals have legs and they're closer uh, than they're letting on to, to actually getting it done. So this is a matter of crossing some T's, dotting some I's, a couple moving pieces. But it, it leads me to believe that there's something in a, that's going to go down over the next couple days. I don't know if you guys uh, have already talked about it, but real quick, like what went wrong in New Orleans? Because all the, you know, they re-signed Alvin Gentry at the end of last year. I thought he was coaching for their sure. job when they made that push, and he was hanging his hat on having AD. You have Holiday, so you got a great tandem, but the team, to me, was, it didn't have a lot of depth, like 4 to 12 or 4 to 15. Nope. When you look at it, I mean, especially in that market where you don't hear great things about how they, you know, they're they're a Saints town. Sure. You know, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, when you see it, what, how do you best describe what happened? It, they just, it wasn't enough, right? Like they tried, and then this isn't really a shot at Dell Dems or, or anybody in that organization, but they just did not have enough talent. Like you're rolling out, you know, Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo and what else? Like, Nikola Mirotic was a good piece. Like, but to your point, you know, when you start getting, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a little bit of credit. I'll go like, like six through 12. Like, that was bad stuff. Like, that wasn't enough to, to get it done to support Anthony Davis and his efforts. And you had a seven year window of time to figure that out. I'll give you two, three years worth of bad basketball while you're trying to, you know, get draft picks or be able to maneuver, you know, cap space so you can swing at somebody to pair with Anthony Davis. But when you can't get it figured out in seven years, 
Um, it's time to go. And that may say something about New Orleans as a town. You know, as and not as a town to go to hang out or culturally or like you know, like uh, you know, it's got a great food scene. Like there's some great things about New Orleans, but as a basketball town, um, it's a really sleepy arena. You know, the crowd's usually relatively lackluster. It's not, not a, a whole lot, not sweaty. a whole lot of buzz. Yeah, um, you know, it just doesn't have like the glitz and the vibe that some of these other cities have. So it's hard probably for them to attract. You know, those, those high level free agents. So it, you know, it's time for AD to go. And kudos to Dell Dems, who's gotten killed by a lot of people, including David Stern came out, you know, a few months ago saying he probably shouldn't have a job. But this is your one time to like hold people hostage for everything they have, uh, that's of value. Do it. Yeah. Get as much as you yeah. can. And I think what happened too with last year in the postseason, how they handled Portland, it might have been a perfect matchup for them. It just sort of gave everybody this. Man, they're on the up and up. They're on the rise. And then you see the first couple months of this season, and it just didn't work out for them. So sticking with the theme, of course, uh, we mentioned sort of the trade package that the Lakers potentially would have for an Anthony Davis. And, uh, boy, surprise, oh, surprise, Raja. Daddy Ball. <laughs> Daddy <laughs> Ball, Ball, yes. Um, says that uh, he'd rather have Lonzo end up with Phoenix over the Pelicans. He's basically saying, if you're going to trade my son, I want him to go to Phoenix with uh, with possibly Aiton and Booker and yep. getting things done. I mean, I'm not mad at him for that. Again, I don't know anybody in the NBA who wants to go to New Orleans. Like, seriously. This is, a, you know, I know your average fan will be like, yeah, it's an NBA, it's an NBA job. Yeah, I get it. But like some NBA jobs are better than others. They're not all the same, you know? And so, you know, just, just from, just from a depth perspective at his son's position, you're looking at the Pelicans who are still going to have Alfred Payton. Tim Frazier has played really well, uh, and Frank Jackson. And you go to the Suns point guards, like they have DeAnthony Melton and Elia Kobo. Like you're going to roll right in there and you are going to be given the ball and kind of the keys to the kingdom. You, you also have DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker who are going to be two really, really good young players. The nucleus and your spot is all set up for success there uh, as a young point guard. There are really no pieces to really build around um, in LA. You're going to be, I mean, sorry, in New Orleans, you'll be going with all of the same guys from LA. So that same, you know, struggle and fight for the ball is still going to exist. And you got Alfred Payton, who is better than you right now, who's going to play the point. So I'm not mad at LeVar Ball for saying this. He's actually correct. The better fit for Lonzo would be the Suns. I love how, you know, whether it's AD saying, you know, I won't sign long-term with the C's, or you have uh, LeVar Ball talking about where he'd like his son to go. The NBA just that makes no bones about where they want to go, trying to use that leverage game in terms of trying to make a move for uh, Lonzo. By the way, Lonzo had been playing for a bit. Of course, uh, had that ankle sprain as the, the Lakers – Struggled without LeBron, did get LeBron. It would be, it would be like the Suns team is one of those teams that's going to be really good for Lonzo. Lonzo came in, was kind of miscast as like who he was as a player. If you watched him a lot at UCLA, you would know that he doesn't really want to score the ball. Like that's not what he does. He wants to get off, get off of it, get it up the court, create tempo, um, get guys easy shots, get guys run outs. Um, and when you've got scores, guys that want to score the ball like DeAndre Ayton and, and, um, Okay. You know, Booker, and they've got some other guys, TJ Warren. They got guys that want to score the ball. I think TJ Warren's still there, Jesus. But anyway, the point is, that's tailor made for what he wants to do as a yeah. player. Do you know what I mean? So it would be a good fit for Lonzo. Well, we saw what happened. D'Angelo Russell gets shipped out of LA, works out here from Brooklyn. So we'll wait and see uh, what happens with Lonzo Ball. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, 
you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. So James Harden, as we know, continues to just ball out the 30-point games. Yeah. Ended at 27 last night. I think another 40-point game. He dropped 44 against the Suns. And, you know, they sort of – obviously, that's his college town out in Tempe, ASU. They were rocking – speaking of, uh, you know, Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year, Rockets were rocking some of the uh, – Those were pretty dope. Uniforms yeah. that they had going on. and. But the, but the, really the story came out was, was Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant recently interviewed, talked about what James Harden's doing. Everybody remembers, obviously, Kobe. I think it was the 05, 06 season. Sure. Kind of went out. Kind of had to do the whole thing, score 30 a bunch of times. And he was saying, look, yes, uh, Harden is doing what he needs to do because the Rockets roster is depleted, but they cannot sustain this. You cannot win a title like this. Harden balled out. A reporter asked him what Kobe said, and James was like, yeah. Kobe's right, you know, we, we can't be doing this forever. I'm just doing this for now. You took all of that right now as we're taking a look at the juries and everything. I mean, he's averaging 40 over his last 31. And he said, Kobe, you're right. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. They're in fifth in the West. They've sustained all these injuries. Guys have been out all year. They, they, we talk about the New Orleans Pelicans not having any depth. Um, when they're injured, they don't have a whole lot. It's just him with the ball. Um, now he's got Eric Gordon back a little bit and some guys that can help him, uh, Chris Paul. But before that, it was just him with the ball. So it is remarkable that he's got him at fifth in the West. I mean, but, but Kobe's point is that that it's just not enough to be a championship contender. And if anyone would know it was Kobe, because Kobe had to do it at times. And I played against Kobe and, you know, the thing was with Kobe, I felt like if, if Kobe, was engaged in trying to get 40, 50. If Kobe felt like he had to score 50 points for them to win the game, my teams usually had a good chance of winning the game. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's one of those things where like it, it can be phenomenal. And as a defender, man, it's an isolated, lonely feeling to have a dude just dropping numbers on your head and, and, and really not getting any help. He's just serving you up buckets. But, you know, at the end of the day in the NBA, there's an amount of points that have to be scored. So if one guy is going to go off for, let's say, 50, and you're able to stifle everybody else's production because you're not helping on that one guy and you're not giving, you know, Kobe's, you know, Tommy 10 points and you're not giving Kobe's like Danny Cannell, you know, 12 points and you're not giving, you know, Raja another 13 points. Well, then the 50 that Kobe gets or the 50 that James Harden gets isn't enough to beat you. And eventually in the playoff series, like that's what they're going to do. They'll let James go bananas and then they're going to lock everything else down. And then, you know, you're going to score, you know, 110, 112, 115 points in today's NBA. His 50, 60 even aren't enough to win. So Kobe's absolutely correct. And if anyone would know, it is Kobe. Yeah, that year I mentioned 05, 06, where Kobe went on one of those runs. They did, the Lakers, they did lose in the first round. So yeah. it's one of those things where you get there, you expend so much energy. You educate me about Mike D'Antoni all the time. You, you mentioned sort of his offensive style and how it may be stubborn at times, how he, if, if something's working, I'm going to keep going with it. So, so we hear Harden say, yeah, I agree with Kobe. So in theory, let's just say if they make some minor moves at the deadline or they get healthy, right? CP3 is starting to make his way back. Right. You know, they get some other pieces to maybe get a, now 
then who does it onus become on to change the style that they're playing now? Is that does James have to go to Mike and go look? You need to give me a little bit of a break, or is Mike going to recognize that, or is it going to take something, hopefully not catastrophic, to force them to sort of play team oriented again? Because what what we're seeing right now is, yeah. is Harden getting his and, and getting it done. That's going to be really interesting. It's an interesting question because it's producing wins right now, um, and in the midst of like this whirlwind that is an NBA season, it's moving so fast. Sometimes you can get caught up in just taking the wins. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm you're you're, I'm you're, you're taking like... wins. So the question is, like, the, to answer your question, it is Mike's job, okay. right? But you know he could be infatuated with the wins too. Do you know? And so you know the hope is that someone analytically there and there because I know they're a big analytics de- you know department type of team and you know Mike should know better. There there's no. There's no real upside with this. There's no, there's no ceiling that's high enough for you to win a championship with the way James is playing. So, you know, I think that Mike and his staff will eventually, once Chris Paul looks good enough, I don't know what Chris Paul looks like in practice. I don't know what Aaron Gordon, I mean, not Aaron Gordon, but Eric Gordon is looking like in practice. Once they see enough out of those guys for them to be able to take some of the workload off of James Harden, I would imagine they start dishing it back out. And I think that's a conversation Mike and staff have with James. Like, look, it's been real. Like you've been playing at a phenomenal level. Maybe after the All Star break, Tommy. Maybe maybe we ride this to the All Star break. We hit the reset button. We come back out. And now we try to get back into more of a. Now, don't get me wrong. They're still going to play ISO ball. Right, right. So they did last year. They went ISO James Harden high pick and roll with Chris Paul high pick and roll with, uh, with uh, James Harden. That's what they want to do. But maybe it'll be a two man show, a little bit of Eric Gordon instead of just a one man show. Yeah, because that's just one of me being. So if I was a beat reporter out in H Town and they're going through this run, you say all these things. But you know, to your point, when I'm talk, talking to you about how Mike handles the offense and what he likes to do, you know, what's going to budge first? And to your point also as well, Rockets 19 and eight during this streak of James Harden going off and chasing wins can can obviously be tantalizing and tough to to get away from. So, staying uh, in the association, this this topic about. The all-star game. And so you got D Wade and Dirk Nowitzki sort of getting commissioner exemptions. Yeah. You want to call them ambassador picks. Yeah. I mean, however you want to sort of <laughs> describe them. Do you like it? Do you not like it? What do you think? I got mixed emotions. I, D Wade and Dirk are great dudes. Like, and they deserve it. And I, and I'm okay with them getting, getting nods and being celebrated, uh, on their way out. Both finals MVPs, like they faced off in two finals. Um, I think it's a great gesture by the NBA. Again, I think this is one of those things where the NBA typically gets these things right. They're really proactive as a league. Like they go out there, they want to make sure that, that, that they treat people the right way and players feel like they are their partners in this. You know what I mean? Like there's not this, uh, you know, I don't know, animosity, if you will. Like I feel like sometimes the NFL and other leagues have with their players. The NBA really has a family type of environment. So I really like it for that reason. I think those two deserve it. I just feel for the other guys that may have gone out like in their last year that were true champions and ambassadors of the game that didn't get this opportunity. And, you know, the tread was off the tire, so they weren't going to get the opportunity to be uh, picked by the coaches or, or their peers. They weren't going to be a, you know, a fan pick anymore. So, like, those guys I feel bad for. They might not have gotten this oppor- might not have gotten the opportunity, but for Dirk and D-Wade, I think it's fantastic. Well, they're both, obviously, future Hall of Famers, staples of their franchise, winning titles for, for the franchises that don't historically, you know, you don't put it as blue bloods or, or top powerhouses in the NBA. One of the things I always thought was interesting too is like this is sort of a perfect storm of both D Wade announcing it's his last year and Dirk in year twenty one. We think obviously he's close. This to better be head. Dirk's goddamn. Last, <laughs> this better be his last year. All like that Dirk, talk when he said Dirk. This better be your last year, Holmes. All right. At least he has that on Kobe. Most yeah. uh, most seasons with one team at twenty one, and Kobe uh, exited with twenty. But the thing is, I think like 
I don't know if you want to be doing this every year, right? Because that's that's the tricky thing. Because like, what if you have it next year? You don't have a Dirk. You don't have a, a D Wade, and then you're forced to have to make a pick. And then, what if you were a player like you mentioned that you know? How would you feel if you got selected? Well, and maybe when you did, did you feel good about going? Or that would be interesting. Like, what's the criteria for one of these like uh, for one of these legacy like representations in the All Star game? I have no idea. You've opened up Pandora's box for sure. <laughs> right. Like you have, and you know, again, I would like to know what the criteria is. But I think most guys generally understand, like, for instance, like, I'm probably a bad example because I was nowhere in their league, but someone who may have been between me on the totem pole and Dirk Nowitzki, he probably realizes when when it's his turn that he's not getting the nod. These guys are perennial all-stars. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, these guys were, yeah. yeah, these guys are, are the best at their position, like, or top three of an era at their position of all time. Like, I mean, what, let's, let's do this. D-Wade. Shooting guards, you got MJ, you got Kobe. Do you go D Wade next? Well, I mean, Harden's working his way in the mix. Okay, but so yeah, you but, would say top five. Yes. You say short list top five, and yep. Dirk is power forwards go. Oh. Right. So you're, you're, you know, most guys wouldn't understand that, and if they didn't get the same treatment on the way out, it's just kind of what it is. These guys are these guys are are goats. Especially if uh, the last 10, 20 years you playing out west. Yeah. Good luck yeah. with that too. Yeah. Obviously, when they don't have the the stipulations now though, with the guys picking teams, so. All right, moving on to Chris Stapp's Porzingis. We mentioned earlier how he was part of a, a busy week in the NBA, stealing a little bit of the Super Bowl spotlight. Um, so he took to Instagram on Sunday. You know, we're talking about his old time and his old team with the Knicks, and uh, he's got his now brother involved yeah. about staying woke, apparently. So uh, saying the city deserves better than that. My suggestion for Knicks fans is to, and this is all in caps, Stay woke! Oh. Exclamation marks! Oh. Peace. Okay, uh, poor Z. Right there, wrote it out right there. Uh huh. People been screen grabbing it, talking about it. So refused to talk about the Knicks during Monday's press conference uh, with his new team. There seems to be that disconnect between Knicks management and, and the unicorn. I mean, this is all setting up for a story down the road about what happened in New York because obviously he's looking for better and brighter days out in Big D. I have no insight into what's going on with the Knicks. Like, I don't have a source there. I, so this is purely conjecture, but I, most times when you get a guy coming out and saying stuff like that, there's something funky going on with the organization. There, there is. Like, I tend to lean player. More so than I would lean organization. Cause organizations can control what comes out. There's usually more political, um, more conspiracy theories around the organizations. They're trying to move and operate in the shadows most of the time, right? Cause they're always looking for the next big thing. There's always a deal going on with the team. Do you know what I'm saying? There's always an agenda with the team, a front office, or an owner. It's their business. Players play. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing there. Like we, we're healthy. We go out there and we play ball. We want to win. It's a really simple thing. So when you start making it complicated and people are start talking about whose fault it is and like this is going on and that's going on and a player comes out and says something like that, I typically would lean towards the player and say like you if you're a New York Knicks fan, you might want to ask what's going on behind closed doors there. You've got a guy, the biggest market I don't know, in in the NBA yep. possibly like it's New York, it's right. the Mecca. Yep. He's the unicorn. It's all good. Like you boot him, but now he's the savior. You're going to build this team around him. He gets sideways with the organization over the course of three years, like, and the organization just rolls it, like, gets him out of town. Is it's either that or Chris Stapps is a cancer, and I don't think Chris Stapps is a cancer. I don't believe him to be that. I think that they got sideways as an organization. Something that was going on behind closed doors uh, rubbed Chris Stapps the wrong way, and it was an unsalvageable relationship at that point. And I put the burden of that on the New York Knicks. 
Something I want to ask you, and it actually ties into a little bit about our coverage during Super Bowl week, and, and it's just my, that was my second Super Bowl in Atlanta. You know, I was covering it for local at Super Bowl 50 out in Santa Clara my first time around, but you get the stars of stars, which we're talking about in the NBA when you're dealing with guys like a Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and, and these all-stars slash superstars. Yeah. The topic of family and entourage, right? And so a wrinkle of this story with Chris Stapps, Porzingis, too, is that Maybe his brother, for, per se, not really welcome with Mills and Company out in New York. By the way, Mark Cuban said, hey, you bring your bro, come down here. We welcome it with open arms. You can be around the city. Like, how does that work with basketball where, you know, you would know, like, I don't know, does, does star players, obviously they get the star treatment, but what about family? Well, how about the Miami Heat lost the best player on the planet because they wouldn't make concessions for his, for his people. Mm. Like, is it worth it? I would ask Miami Heat fans. I would ask Pat Riley and Eric Spolster, was, was it worth it? Like, give the man what he, like, if he wants his, his, his road dog to be on the plane, there's a seat on the plane anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, we get caught up in, look, I'm gonna do what I gotta do to win. Now I ain't gonna let you run my franchise, but if you're telling me it requires your brother, who's the, your agent, Chris Epps' brother is an agent, you want him to be in the building, and, dude, I don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not letting him coach the practice, but if that's what it means to keep the unicorn happy, like, if LeBron having two seats on the plane aside from his, I give you three seats on the plane, LeBron. <laughs> Like, is what is it worth it to be fighting over this? No, it's not. And so, like, you saw what Mark Cuban did. Come on. Let's go, buddy. Right. Bring your whole family. Bring moms. I'll set her up with, like, a, you know, a kitchen in there. If she wants to cook, you know, Lithuanian meals for you, whatever. I don't know where he's from. But the point is, you do what you have to do to keep dudes of that ilk happy um, and wanting to be in your family right. as the franchise. You don't run them out of town. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about Carson Wentz. Uh, opening up saying, you know, the headlines are saying, I know I'm not perfect. He's talking about, quote, it hasn't been the easiest year for me on the physical level, just battling the injuries, but then just personally going through it, sitting on the sideline and then playing and then sitting on the sideline again. So I realize I maybe wasn't the greatest teammate at times because I was emotionally kind of all over the place. To the outside world, I probably didn't show it much. But internally, you're definitely fighting some sort of emotions so there are things to learn about how to handle myself in certain situations, end quote. So obviously this stems from the Eagles. You know, sometimes we talk about controversies or star players mired in controversy when the team's losing. But obviously with Philly, the way they did going and winning a Super Bowl yeah. with a backup quarterback who won Super Bowl MVP. Then the next season, as Carson said, you get hurt again. And then you get Foles leading them to an improbable, not impossible, but improbable run to the playoffs you hear the comments. For me, it's tough because for football, I don't think you get it as much in other sports because in football, you got 50, 60 dudes and guys like who they like and they side with who they like. I don't know if it's the same in basketball or maybe even baseball where it's down to about 15 to 20, 20 right. 25. But that dynamic of what we're seeing for Carson Wentz, what are you thinking? Um, look, I think he's young. Probably needs to you know grow up a little bit. If Carson Wentz was trying to sell that he was not jealous of the situation – with Nick Foles and the team winning a championship, he's lying. Like, there is a level of jealousy. You can still be happy. You can still love that your team won. But somewhere deep down as a competitor, there is a little envy when it was your job and you lost it because of injury, but someone else is sitting there riding on the parade float and being heralded as as the savior in Philly. And, you know, sometimes, you know, 
you're hiding that maybe and you're not realizing like what you're projecting to other people in the locker room you think no one can see it sometimes they can do you know what i mean um with a little age comes a little perspective on stuff like that you know what i mean you 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 have a little security in who you are as a pro and what you've been able to achieve and you know your track record speaks for itself and maybe you don't wear you know those kind of emotions so visibly to other people on the team but i'm sure you know he made some mistakes and as he's getting older he's starting to understand uh how to be a better pro a better leader uh probably a better guy in that locker room that is why I brought up sort of football and maybe the quarterback position is because, you know, I covered Derek Carr for a few years uh, with the Raiders before obviously joining HQ a year ago. And he kind of not exactly the same thing, but he was him and Khalil Mack. They were the young bucks of this Oakland franchise. that was not very good. Yeah. Then they have a really good season in 2016. And he gets that big contract. It's the $25 million a year. And then the team started falling, and they started playing that way. And then everyone started going, like, is Derek the guy? And then, you, and then again, it's a football thing. And I think what I brought up here was, like, you go through that year, you lead the team to the playoffs, you get hurt two regular season games before, and Nick Foles comes, that's fine, right? Then you come to this year, even when when um, Wentz was coming back from the injury, it's always going to be his team. And then it, it was his team. You know, Foles started out the year, Wentz comes in. Then he gets hurt again, and then Foles brings him back to the postseason again. And to your, you brought it up earlier in, in, in a basketball topic because you want to win. If you're on that team, especially in football, no guaranteed contracts, you're in to win now. Yeah. So if you're seeing this stuff, it's like, yeah, I love Carson, man, but if we're going to win with Nick, maybe we go with Nick. You Absolutely. Know? That's the thing. That, that's the tough thing in football. That's a tough pill to swallow as a young player. And, some, you know, there, there's always this debate about, like, with the young quarterbacks and whether, you know, you, you want – you know, competition, let's say, for young quarterbacks and the, the Ryan Tannehill thing. Sometimes, you know, it depends on somebody's personality type. Sometimes healthy competition and somebody breathing down your neck can really spur a guy on to be his best version of himself. You know, there are other guys that sometimes if, if you have like a little bit like less self-esteem, if you will, and there's somebody that's not your equal, but he ain't that far off, like that can be an intimidating thing. It could cause some pettiness. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't bring out the best in you. It could bring out the worst in you. And so, you know, for the Philadelphia Eagles, it was the right move because they won a Super Bowl. But going forward, like, it looks like Carson Wentz isn't the type of dude that you really want to have. Like, you know what I mean? For, for the best Carson Wentz scenario, but for a team, I mean, obviously you want to have that capable backup, a guy that if he should go down, he can take you to a Super Bowl, but it, it clearly doesn't bring out the best in, in Carson Wentz. Yeah, and he said, uh, quote, also, I realize I have my shortcomings. Yes, I can be selfish. I think we all have selfishness inside of us. There's human elements to that. Uh, that I really look to and say, well, I can get better. And again, that's all that stuff about, uh, reports of stuff that, you know, he objected to running a play because it was designed for Nick Foles, him and OC Mike Grow, a bunch of just little things that, again, when you're under the spotlight, especially maybe in a town like Philly, it just sort of magnifies because of where you were drafted, how young you are, and the position you play. Yeah. And hopefully, like, this is all, like, look. They'll figure out the Nick Foles situation. I would imagine he's not back in Philly, right? And they want to trade him, so they extended right. him, trying to flip him for a third. Yeah, They're trying to again say Carson's our guy. Nick, we want to, to to get something back. And Carson comes out, does what he does, and this will all go away, you know. But again, um, as a young player, and I was a young player, you do some dumb like you look. You just don't know. Like you're, you know, you're you're not that far removed from college. We all do dumb stuff when we're young, and then you sit there five years later, and you're like, man, that was I, that was pretty silly. You know what I mean? I was acting like I was acting like a kid, but. For all intents and purposes, he is a kid. Speaking of kids, Zion Williamson, 18 years old, uh, playing. He's not a kid. That's a grown man. <laughs> like a man child yeah, there, Zion man. Williamson. Yeah. Uh, he said over the weekend, I only get to be in college once, and even if I could have gone straight to the NBA, 
I would have come to college because I wanted this experience. Stop oh, it. you wouldn't let me finish. Stop it. You wouldn't let me let me finish. Stop it. You mean you can't fall in love with R.J. Barrett Stop. and Cam Reddish Stop. and Cameron yeah, You're only saying that now because you experienced the college experience. You know what I mean? Because you've been on Duke's campus and you know what it's like to play in Cameron Indoor and you've had these you know, moments with these teammates. But if you were coming fresh out of whatever high school he went to and they offered you a chance to go to the NBA, nah, you ain't saying I'm, I'd rather go to college for a year. Beat so it. a year ago when he was a senior signing day, by the way, signing day tomorrow, you would have said Zion's like, if the NBA was an option, sorry, coach. He'd have, he, no, there'd be nothing. He wouldn't know what that is. It, that's a special thing that Cameron Duke, like, like the brotherhood there with, with all of those former players that come back in the pros, like that's special. He would have no idea what that was about. He would go to the pros like everybody else would. Mm. Look at that right there. Top ranked recruit according to CBS. Coach K, by the way, said the world has changed in the last couple of years. Nobody brought in exposure that he's brought in. He had a million, two million followers. On social media before we ever got here. When's that happen? But it's happening to him. And we're so high profile that everything is scrutinized and play looked at by everybody. So if Coach K saying those things for the top program that's always on a network, yeah. basically promoted by a network, uh, that's a high praise for a player that uh, was more popular than he ever was before he even stepped foot. It's going to be fantastic to see what happens you know, around the NBA draft because admittedly Zion's way better than I thought he was. Like I, the only clips I had seen of him before this year were those YouTube or Instagram clips of him just doing crazy dunks in high school games. And then, you know, he rolls out and he's got more of a skill set than I thought. You, you question whether that, that, that athleticism translates and it clearly did. And it's still like elite of the elite. Um, he can pass the ball. He can handle it in the open court. Now, I don't think he's a good enough shooter yet, but there's more there than you thought. I still think that R.J. Barrett is a better pro. Mm. I do. I think that R.J. Barrett, at the end of the day, will be a better pro than Zion Williamson. I don't know that someone with the first pick is going to be able to pass on Zion. I say, though, that's the thing, because if you are in a position to have the number one pick, you almost have to take him, whether he works out or not, because if you're a GM, right, and you take Zion, or let me just say this, if you don't take Zion, it's like... You know, like, you're gonna be scrutinized either way, so you take the safe bet, if Zion somehow doesn't work out, if he's just a dunker, if he can't translate to the NBA, well then, well, look, I had no It's not that big of a miss, player. right. If you miss, if you don't take Zion, and Zion translates to the NBA, you lose a job. Right? Cause he's, he's the one, he's there. You, RJ, you know, RJ could go number two, um, and be great. You know what I mean? If Zion didn't work out, you'd be like, yeah, Zion was, you know, everybody had Zion number one. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you can't miss on Zion, but I, I really do think RJ, and that's not that Zion's not going to be a decent NBA player. Right, right. I don't know that Zion is going to take the NBA and flip it on its head like he's done to college basketball. He's just taking, he's a man amongst boys. He's going to be a man amongst, and he had a his man whole among, following on YouTube. Everybody knew him now, on YouTube before he, yeah, the there, there's no, there's no denying that when he walks in your building as a pro, there's going to, there's going to be some buzz around it. It's not going to be what it was at Cameron. Like you're, you're talking about guys on NBA teams that have millions of followers too. You know what I mean? But, I think I think that skill set wise, RJ has a chance to be a really really good pro. Plays a lot of different positions, can do a lot of different things. Very versatile. Um, it's gonna be really fascinating to we see. Somebody at number two is gonna get really lucky. Well, that's the thing because like we're talking about, you know, Lonzo is a potential package, and whether it's Lonzo, Markel, Tatum, obviously Tatum emerging. As everyone rethinking and redoing the draft, Luca this year. Yeah. But back when you go through the process, it's not like Tatum and Luca were straight up fire guys that you couldn't miss, you know. And so when you look back, obviously revisionist history is twenty twenty. It's like it is. But RJ reminds me of the Tatum situation because when when they were coming out, 
And we had, you know, it was Rip, me, and a, one of our former colleagues, Nick Costas, and we were up there, you know, debating for some hit on one of these things, who was going to go number one. And, and my point was I thought Jason Tatum uh, would be the number one pick if the Celtics had kept the number one pick. And they were like, get the heck out of it. You know, I was like, no, but I – I see his skill set translating in, in ways that I didn't necessarily see Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball. Not that they wouldn't be good players, but I thought Jason Tatum's potential upside in the NBA was greater than theirs. And I feel that way kind of about about the Zion and R.J. Barrett thing. Let me ask you this, by the way. When you were a college player, and, and we'll talk about one of these Duke guys, if you're a uh, potential, like a John Morant, like a, like a potential yeah. lottery pick, are you trying to work on your NBA game? In college, or do you just got to go through what college tells you, and you got to do it then in workouts and off season? How does that work for a player who knows he's going to be in the NBA eventually? How how do, how do they prepare to be quote unquote league ready? Yeah, I think that's tough, man, because you we deal with it now at the high school level. Not that the kids we had that will be NBA players or not, but all of the skill guys that do workouts now, and there's this we didn't have skill guys when I was in middle school and high school. Like I skill guy, my skill guy was like the my. My dad, like you come out and rebound for me or he wouldn't. I'd just go shag my own balls and you shoot. These guys are working on pro moves. Like, so these skill guys are teaching them pro moves. And Kobe came out the other day on something and he was like, you know, I teach my daughters the fundamentals. Like they don't need pro moves right now. But the point is all of these skill guys do pro moves. So college kids, high school kids are all working on pro moves. Pro moves don't really translate into MB, I mean, into, into college games or high school games. The games played a little differently. You know what I mean? There's not as much space. There, people are in zones. There's not, you know, like it doesn't translate purely into those games. So it's a balancing act between like sharpening up your toolbox and your skill set to keep up with the times and to have it NBA ready, but being able to streamline your game when it's time to play in high school games and college games to fit in whatever system that that coach is trying to run. And if you're good enough, that coach is probably going to provide you a little bit of a platform to kind of get into some of your bag, right? Get into your package, whatever you got. But that can't be the game. Like, it's not a James Harden. They don't play that way in college. So you got to fit into what we're trying to do systematically, right? And then you work kind of on the side on your pro stuff, right? You work with your trainer and stuff like that and get your pro stuff tightened up, especially, you know, if you already know you're going to be a pro.